Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And you're checking out the program after the Steelers, in my opinion, surprising victory over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think it's in Orchard Park up there in uh, in upstate New York. Great victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before we jump into the program, I want to give a big shout out to all the sponsors of the show. Nothing but Bud Butter. Uh, Shop Supreme Queen, Assist to Score, Great Dads versus Everybody, Steelers Landing, UK Steelers Podcast. Big up to everybody who supports the show. Also, if you want to participate in the show, you can catch us live. We're going to be doing the show after the games, of course, the post game on Sunday. And we're going to add an extra show on Thursdays. We're going to do the show on Thursday morning. So make sure you tune in, tell a friend and subscribe. Click the like button. And join the new standard experience on Sunday because of Neil Kulong's commitments. I'm going to probably do the show by myself. And I have a special guest that I think I'm going to have on the program. If you're watching the show live, you might be confused about this handsome gentleman with the beard to my right or maybe to your left. I'm always mistaken when it comes to looking at a computer screen. But we have resident capologist for Steel City Insider, Ian Whetstone. And before we jump into my breakdown of the game, I wanted to have Ian on the show so Ian could break down the T.J. Watt contract. And, of course, that was the big news last week in Steelerdom was the T.J. Watt contract, if that was going to get done before the Steelers' self-imposed deadline that they put on for them not to uh, negotiate contracts. So let's jump into it. Ian, welcome to the program. Hey, Lance. How you doing? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. We often chat live. We often chat in, in Twitter. And big up to you, Ian. Ian has taught me everything that I know about the cap, but I always like to bring Ian on when we get into nuance about the cap. So, Ian, describe the T.J. Watt contract overall. Did this contract deviate from old-school Steeler practices? But before you answer that question, just give the listeners some basic details about the contract. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's it's four new years on top of the, exist, the, the existing year that he had. He was going to play this year on the fifth-year option, the option year at the end of his rookie deal. Um, that that was one year at about $10 million. Um, so they've now extended him for four additional years, five total years. Um, the, the new money value of the new years is about 112, $112 million, um, which works out to $28 million a year on average. Um, Plus that, you know, then you fold in the 10 million that he was already due. So it's, you know, about 122 million total over the five years. Um, the way the contracts are typically valued, you look at the new money average over the new years, it's 28 million a year, which makes him the highest paid defensive player ever, which it was, it was absolutely always going to take making him the highest defensive paid player ever to get this deal done. Um, they weren't getting it done otherwise. You don't have a player who finished in the top, you know, three in defensive player of the year voting two years in a row leading up to this year and not have to pay like that at a, at a premier position, at a, at, a, at a position that's at the top of the pay scale anyway, which pass rushers are. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the question was, this, this was the first contract in a while where, the, you know, the player had the kind of leverage where you don't know if maybe he can get the Steelers to break with some of their longstanding practices. The, the biggest one that the people I know have heard of is that they do not they do not historically guarantee any money outside of the first year, um, which always sounds bad. <laughs> it sounds like that's bad for the players. Um, 
But historically, for Steelers players, it has not been bad because they because even though they don't guarantee that money, they tend to pay it. Um, and something that has been happening more and more recently is that in order to continue doing that, in order to continue getting players to agree to those deals without guaranteed money past the first year, they wind up paying out better contracts overall. I mean, they wind up paying them more money to get them to agree to non-guaranteed deals. Um, and when you do that and you're and you're retaining the players anyway, which they typically are, they're they're one of the slowest teams to they, they hang on to players through more than most teams do, more than almost any team does. There's a handful of, you know, Bengals maybe hold on to players a little little tighter. Um, but so this you know, you most players don't really have the leverage to make the to make the series think about changing the way they do business. Um, you know, potentially maybe Ben could have in one of his you know, deals over the years, but he never did push that. And quarterbacks, honestly, like they probably have some of the least incentive to do it because right. quarterbacks don't get cut anyway. Like, you know, quarterbacks, unless something goes really awry, they get paid. So um, he didn't necessarily have the incentive to, to push that. Um, but Watt, Watt is a, you know, is a superstar player at a, at a top paid position. So um, I, I think they did, they absolutely did the right thing um, by breaking with that, um, with that, limitation that they put on themselves i think for a long time it served them well i think for a long time they, they they're one of the most um rigid teams about how they do contracts and when they do contracts and i think that for the most part that has served them well over the years but this guarantee thing um i think that that a, a couple of years ago i think the balance tilted to where the fact that they were having to pay out more money to players overall had become more of a hindrance than what they were gaining um by not guaranteeing team those contracts so i think it, i think it was a little bit past time for them to break with that tradition um but in this case you know i definitely think i think they got this deal done at lower numbers than they would have been able to if they had insisted on not guaranteeing anything after year one if the deal was even doable at all without but you know while we're while maintaining that posture um, i don't know that it was i don't know that why it was signing a deal without guarantees past year one but if he was it was going to mean that that contract was going to have to be was going to have to knock his socks off in every other way. The year one payout was going to have to be higher. The cash flow was going to have to be dramatically shifted towards the front. And probably that annual average wasn't going to have to be 28 million. It was going to be like 30 million, something like that. Um, so I think that they've done better for themselves by breaking with that tradition um, than if they had clung tight to it. Um, you know, I'm really glad they're not going into next year looking and having to tag him and then negotiate off of that because then he's got even more leverage, then things can get even more acrimonious, then a holdout can be a real holdout. Like, he didn't really hold out this year. He couldn't really. I mean, right. he, was under, he was under contract, and the rules are really stringent about holdouts under contract now. Um, but, you know, a franchise tag, there's, he has no – he doesn't have to sign a franchise tag. Right. He can't leave, but he but he can't. doesn't have to sign it, and he doesn't have to play. Right. Um, you know, the player's leverage is much higher under a franchise tag than it would be under the circumstances this year. Um, so I think it was better for everybody and as far as avoiding acrimony and more drama next year to get this deal done now. And I think they did the right things to do it. And I think it's, I think, you know, I, it's cliche, but I think, I think that this deal was win-win for, for, for all parties involved. Looking at the contract, I think the thing that stood out to me was the cap hits after the first year where you have a base salary of 24 million 20 million, 21 million, and 21 million. And you have cap hits of 31 per 31 million, excuse me, 27 million, 28 million. And his cap percentage on each of those years, and of course it could adjust, but as it stands now, 
according to over the cap. He's 14.9% of the cap next year, 12% in 2023 and 11% in 2024. There is an interesting stat that's been floating around for years is that typically when you have a quarterback that takes up, I believe it's about 12% of your cap, you don't win a Super Bowl. Typically, teams recently have won championships with younger quarterbacks with smaller cap percentage charges. Does this alarm you in terms of percentage of cap when you look at the contract? Well, I mean, I think the league as a whole is going to have to reckon with 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 the escalation of top end salaries in an environment where, you know, twice in the last 12 years or so, we've seen cap constriction. You know, the cap has has shrunk at times in that span, while top end salaries have not. So you're going to you're going to have higher top end salaries relative to the overall cap than we did. You know, quarterback salaries have gone through a bit of an explosion up there. They had been fairly subdued. Um, for a long time by um, a, a couple of factors. A big one was that Aaron Rodgers had a deal that was sort of unofficially the, the, you know, the quarterback cap at the top. No one really wanted to go over that for a long time. Um, now there's not really a situation where there's a, a, a prime of his career, prime quarterback, you know, depressing the, the quarterback market. Right. Um, so quarterback salaries have, have, have exploded, you know, considerably. Um, you know, I think the league as a whole has to look at, you know, what, what are they doing? Are are how are they going to reckon with the fact that these top end salaries are getting higher in an environment where the cap is not as high now as you would have said it was going to be six years ago? You know, six years ago, you looking ahead, you think the cap now by now is going to be 220 or something like that. And it's not really near that um, because of factors like, you know, revenue loss due to COVID. Yada, yada. Um, and that's the big one. Um, but that's not just the Steelers, that's all teams. And, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, you, you, that, that, that stat that's been out there for a long time about quarterbacks eating X percent of the cap, um, you know, one of the factors is that they're looking at quarterbacks because when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, or on a cheap deal, right. you can afford luxuries like paying premier defensive players. Uh, you know, the Steelers are looking at a situation next year where they're not going to be paying top dollar for a quarterback unless something really unexpected happens. Yeah. You know, either they're looking at another, you know, one year at a time with Ben, which is not going to, you know, it's not going to be for a bunch of money. It's, it would be something comparable to this year when he played for, he was playing for $14 million on a lower cap hit. Um, or it would be some kind of, um, a, a, a temporary, you know, solution like playing Rudolph or playing some other kind of placeholder quarterback, or they would be looking at playing a, a rookie quarterback. Um, none of those are expensive propositions. So, you know, if the, you, you never know year to year what the situation is going to be, but if there's a foreseeable year where you want to take that big cap hit on the premier defensive player, it's going to be next year. Right. You know, and I would sort of hope that next year they would be in position where they could just eat that hit for what. Um, and then be better positioned with that contract going forward rather than looking to restructure it. A contract that that's, that's that big, uh, you don't necessarily want to get into that restructure game where you're pushing right. money down the road. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to restructures to free up cap space. I, I, in general, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent practice. that you, you get better value over the years by doing that. Um, but when you have a contract that's that, that weighty to start with, you don't necessarily want to right off the bat get into the habit of you know, kicking that much money down. And then you're dealing with like, really whopping numbers near the end of it. Um, 
really quickly, so, yeah, Ian, l- let me let me cut you off real quick. Really quickly, do you think um this the what they did this year with TJ and changing their philosophy they'll do for Minka and do you think the TJ Watt contract and the uh, enormous size of it will prohibit them from extending Minka cuz i would think that Minka Fitzpatrick is the next guy in line for yeah. a top of the market at his yes. position deal absolutely now, i mean a big thing that helps that helps them in that regard is that safety is 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 one of the lowest paid right, right. positions defensive positions certainly um, it's still, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no fullback on a starting defense. You know what I mean? There's no, there's right, no like right, real right. low paid position, but the top of the safety market is two thirds the top of the pass rusher market. Right. You know? Um, so I do think that, you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how much th- this, you know, bending on what, how does that translate to other contracts down the road? You know, um, I think it will be hard for them to not do it with Minka. I think it's going to be hard to go into negotiations with Minka and say, well, he was worth that, but you're not. He was worth right. us changing the way we do business, <laughs> but you are not. Right. That, <laughs> we I like you, but we sort of don't. Right. I also, <laughs> again, I, like I said, I don't think that that practice has been serving them well anymore anyway. So I hope that they break with that practice. They continue to break with that practice, especially for these highest end um, contracts, because that's where you really see the biggest difference, right? Like, I'd much rather them see them do that with Minka and wind up paying him, I don't know, 18 and a half million a year than having to do 19 and a half or 20 million a year to get it done. And they're paying him some gigantic signing bonus and all the money's front loaded. I, I think they would be better off doing that. Um, you know, what sort of remains to be seen is, is, is the Steelers are not, are not the most cash rich team out there. Um, and, 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 and one of the reasons that teams don't, like to guarantee money, you know, up front, um, is that fully guaranteed money at signing has to be put into escrow. Um, right. so the team doesn't, the team, the team has to lay out that cash, right? You know, that, that 80 million that, 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 that Watt has guaranteed the Steelers have to put $80 million in an account somewhere or, you know, whatever, minus whatever they pay them out right away. Um, so for, you know, so for teams that, that are not necessarily swimming in cash all the time, that might be an issue. Um, you know, that's an interesting point that they have to put that in escrow and that cash has to be available. That makes sense. I mean, you can't tell me you're going to pay me 80 million and you say, I'm going to get it to you when I get it to you. Yeah. No. Actually, I, mean, I, uh-huh. I think that, that, you know, that rule was put in place a long time ago to protect players because they right. wanted to make sure that, you know, that, the, that the money was actually available to the players. Now it is totally used as a cudgel against players because teams say, well, we can't guarantee this contract. We can't put that money in escrow and have it not available. Um, but teams have the money. I mean, there's no NFL team right. that doesn't have the money when the time comes. Um, so the dynamic has kind of flipped as to which side uses that requirement to its benefit. Um, I really think, you know, it would, it would do players a lot of good to get rid of that rule. But, you know, the league knows that now. And so they want a give back if they're going to get rid of that rule, even though it was put in place for the players' benefit in the first place. Um, so I, that may be an issue for the Steelers and for a, for a team that is not particularly cash rich. Um, so I, I don't think you're going to see like a wholesale change where they're doing contracts like that all the time. Um, but I do think it's going to be hard for them to, to back off with, you know, with the really cornerstone contracts for the big players. I think that that's going to have to start becoming a, a regular thing for them. Hey, Ian, before I let you go, please let listeners know where I'm sure you did a breakdown on Jim Wexel's site, stillcityinsider.net, breaking down a contract. 
Um, is it up? Is it out? Can Steelers fans I go? Didn't, I didn't do. I didn't do anything since that. Since the Watt contract was signed, I did. You know, before he signed, I I wrote a piece on why I think it's time to break with that practice, which they did, and so I'm glad for it. Um, that that is up on the site. Um, best place to catch my thoughts on NFL stuff is Twitter at my Twitter handle, which is my name right here. Um, you know, you got to put up with a lot of other nonsense from me to get to it, but uh, but it's in there. Hey, and we're going to go ahead and let you go. Thanks for hopping on the program. And go Steelers. Nice week one victory. Absolutely. Big one. All right. See you later, Ian. Listeners, I want to thank Ian Whetstone for hopping onto the program. We're going to, as we do the post game, as we start to get in guests, it's going to be a little bit fluid, but we're going to jump into the game. And my overall thoughts on the game is it was an outstanding victory. This is a team in the Buffalo Bills that the Steelers struggled to beat. They were one and two in their last three meetings. They go on the road with a with a very young starting five offensive line. You know, going into this game, T.J. Watt, the whole deal with the contract, T.J. Watt getting in the fold, their flux in the secondary uh, in, in terms of their sub-package defense, working in Schobert, this was an excellent victory. This was a type of victory that, if you go to the playoffs and you make some type of hay in the playoffs, winning a game like this on the road against a team like Buffalo is an excellent victory. This is one of those victories in where you have to give your hats off to everybody on the Steelers staff, the coaching staff, uh, the defensive side of football, offensive side of football. We're going to jump into some game grades. My overall thought in the game, and I don't want to be negative in any way, but I need to keep it real with you guys. This was an outstanding victory, one in which you get a special teams touchdown. And I also always talk about how when you get special teams touchdowns, you're always chasing the seven points. Once they got that special teams touchdown, that really flipped this game, and it probably flipped the odds almost close to 90% plus in terms of a Steeler victory. As good as the Steelers' victory was, looking at this game, when you look at it, you have to say to yourself, And big up to Edwards James Gardner for the comment, and he wrote the following. Gents, the Steelers won, but there is still much work needed to be done on the offensive side before the Steelers can string together consistent wins. Still optimistic from the good I saw. He's absolutely right. This is the type of game where you win incorrect. You don't apologize for victories. There's no style points in victories, and you don't have to apologize for victories. You, you just win the game, and you move on, you correct, and you get better. That That's all they have to do. There's a lot of work on both sides of the ball, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what they have to do moving forward. We, we saw some rough patches here or there, but there are some things that the Steelers can be very encouraged about. And for me, the one thing that stood out before we get into the grades is on a defensive side of football. Going up against a team like Buffalo that is so heavy in 11 personnel, 10 personnel, 0-0 personnel, and 11 personnel is three wide receivers. 10 personnel is four wide receivers, one running back, no tight end. Zero personnel or 0-0 personnel is no running back, no tight end is very tough to handle. They faced, if I'm looking at the game book, You know, it's very tough. First game of the year. And the first game of the year, your pass rush is going to be very gassed. It's going to be very hard to rush the passer going up against 51 pass attempts. 
actually 54 pass attempts because the Steelers got three sacks. So the level of pass rush that they were consistently able to get was just outstanding. So taking a look at the game grades, and let's just flip it real quick. But overall, my thought is they're going to have to improve offensively and try to figure out an identity of what they want to do and where they want to be and how they want to be as a team. Scoring 16 points on offense and getting a special teams touchdown is not a recipe for winning. And so let's jump into Grayson Brown. What's up, Grayson? How are you? Grayson's a longtime listener of the program. Grayson said, our defense will keep us in every game this year. Buffalo is under pressure despite the score. I don't disagree that the defense will keep you in score in games. Sorry about that. Here's the problem. When you're not con converting third downs, it starts to flip on you, and you start to get into a deficit in terms of snap count. You look at the snap count in this game, and I think a lot of it started to flip for the Steelers in the second half because they got the ball more and held the ball more. But the Bills, the, but the Bills had the ball for 79 plays to 55 snaps. They – of the Steelers. They had the ball for 33 minutes to the Steelers, 26-43. And th that's the problem when you're not converting third downs is that there's a disparity in snap count. And, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but when you look at the snap count difference, okay, it's 79 to 55. That's a 24-play snap count difference. That's humongous. And in a lot of situations, you can't win a game like that. But let's go into the grades. Let's take a look at the quarterback grade. I think the quarterback grade in this game is a B. I think Ben Roethlisberger was solid in the game. He was 18 of 32 for 188 yards, got sacked twice through one touchdown pass, a long of 24 yards with a quarterback rating of 83.9. I think what Ben was average in this game. I think this is the type of game where if you don't turn the ball over, you give your defense, who was playing a very good game, an opportunity to give you to keep you in the game. You can sort of slow play the game, and if the game turns in your favor and you start to make some plays, you can find something in the game because you're having gotten blown out, and your defense keeps you in the game. I think Ben has to be a little more sharp. Uh, maybe that was a case of not playing. Uh, during the regular season, excuse me, not the regular season, the preseason a lot. So I think he has to get a little sharper. There were some plays that he missed on third down that I think later in the year or maybe even starting next week that he'll make. But I think 32 of 18 is a performance in this game because of the defense, which I graded a B for his performance. He can get away with. But I think, again, for the Steelers to continue to win football games moving forward, he's going to have to play better. His completion percentage will have to increase and he'll have to push the ball a little bit more downfield. It was a winning performance because, of course, they won the game. But I think he has to get a little bit better in that regard. The rushing game, the running backs, that position, I'm going to give it a C. One very good run by Najee Harris late in the game for 18 yards. But overall, the running back position, he was the only running back that had carries. 16 carries, 45 yards for 2.8 yards per carry. That's not very good. I'm giving it a C because they won the game. I thought he was able to run 
situationally well in some spots. They did not run the ball well in the red zone. And I think a lot of that is on that offensive line. I think the offensive line was getting inconsistent push. You know, and when you average 2.8 yards per carry, that means that you have some room for growth and you have some room for improvement. And, and I don't want to be too hard on the offensive line, but again, a running back position, I'm going to give a B. I don't want to be too hard on the offensive line. And my grade for the offensive line is a C. Because when you put a, when you put five new starters on your offensive line out there, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. And it's, it's going to be something that they're going to have to grow to. And, you know, there were some things that I thought were alarming in the game. First of all, I didn't think they were getting consistent push in the run game. I think the second thing that was alarming was they gave up a lot of pressure. They, they, they gave up a lot of pressures in the game. They gave up six quarterback hits. They gave up two sacks. Um, so that's Ben Roethlisberger getting hit eight times. And that's not even counting the pressures. I think more struggled in pass protection. And that's to be expected. And when Ben Roethlisberger says it, it's going to take some time, it's a work in progress, you know, I think he's absolutely right. It's a work in progress. It's absolutely a work in progress because, it, it, I mean, it's five new starters. I mean, it is what it is. I think where I would have liked to see them play a little bit better was in the red zone, be able to move the line of scrimmage to be able to let Najee work more inside so they could actually run the ball in the end zone and, and get some touchdowns there. You look at the offense in terms of red zone touches, I mean, it's going to have to improve. They had only two red zone appearances. They were one of two. Uh, excuse me, they were one of three in the red zone for 33%. They've got to do better than that. They've got to get in the red zone more. And the overall, when you look at the offense, they only average 4.6 yards per play. Again, this was a defensive struggle. It was really tough for all areas of the offense. So, again, I'm giving Ben Roethlisberger a B. I'm giving – and I might change my grades because I'm not writing my grades down as I go. But my final grade will be the grade that I say. I'm going to give the running backs a C. I'm going to give the offensive line a C. I'm not really going to grade the tight end position. I'm just going to lump it into the receivers, the skill players, receivers. And I'm going to give them a C as well. Uh, when you look at the targets, they were targeted 32 times. They had 18 receptions. That's not tremendously good. Um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster was targeted eight times, had four receptions. That has to improve. Deontay Johnson was targeted 10 times, five receptions. You would like your receiver, if he's targeted 10 times, you would like your receiver to get seven catches. It's not very good to get 10 targets at only 36 yards. That's pretty putrid. But you could see that whatever they were trying to do, whatever the game plan was in this game, it was severely impacted by the offensive line. When you can't run block consistently well or pass block consistently well in a game you kind of just have to throw spitballs on the wall and see what sticks and what works let's jump to the defensive side of football I thought the defense was outstanding I thought the front seven was outstanding but I was especially impressed with the secondary I thought the secondary was outstanding if I'm looking at the defensive line I think the defensive line was great I'm going to give them an a minus in the game Although when you look at individual statistics in terms of sacks and quarterback hits, 
not a lot show up front. But I think the amount of pressure that they were able to to get, and I think Hayward with no two it in the game, I think Hayward and Alulu and those guys up front were very disruptive. You saw the Buffalo Bills get called on multiple holds early in this game, and I think they consistently were able to move the Buffalo Bills offensive line, really get a lot of pressure, particularly in a tough game one matchup. And I was saying this on Twitter, in a game one matchup, this is the game where you throw the ball a lot. Guys aren't in great condition, and this is the type of game where if you spread teams out and you throw it all over the yard, you're going to get inconsistent pass rush. But I thought the pass rush, or excuse me, I thought the push that the defensive line got in the game was pretty consistent and pretty outstanding over the course of the game. I think the stars of the game, so that's an A- minus for the front. I think along with the secondary, I thought the linebackers played very well. And big up to my old guy, I used to do a show with Jeffrey Benedict for pointing out that Schobert looked a little slow, a little behind the ball. I agree with that. But I think that's him getting comfortable in the offense, excuse me, in the defense. But I think you can see that the combination of Ingram, Watt, that's going to be a devastating combination. When you look at Ingram, Watt, and Highsmith, I mean, you look at them combined, Highsmith, three tackles, one assist, four combos. You look at T.J. Watt, three tackles, three combination tackles, two sacks, one tackle for loss, five quarterback hits, Melvin Ingram. He had a tackle. Um, he had a tackle for loss. He had a quarterback hit. He had a pass defense. And Melvin Ingram was much more impactful in the game than the stats suggest. Uh, I think he drew maybe two or three holding calls. So I thought it was a great game by the linebacker core. But I think the MVPs of this game was a secondary. You had Norwood start originally. And we're going to watch a little bit more on film when Game Pass puts the film on. I want to see what the coverages the Steelers were playing. It looked like they were playing some nickel and a lot of dime. A lot of nickel, but a lot of for some dime as well. I thought Norwood held up well. I thought Pierre held up well. I thought they played really good on the back end. When you look at the game book and you look at the stats for the Buffalo Bills, um, although Stephon Diggs had nine receptions on 14 targets, he only had 69 yards receiving, 7.7 yards per catch. That's great. Only with a long of 13, they did not get, get gouged for a touchdown by him. Beasley, 13 targets, eight receptions, uh, 69 yards, seven and a half yards per catch. You know, that's 27 targets and 17 receptions. Most of those guys got held down pretty comfortably, and I thought they played pretty well. They tackled well. They didn't give up too many big plays. There were some third downs where they gave up some third down conversions that were tough in the game. But overall, going up against 49 targets and only giving up 30 catches, 19 incompletions, he only had 270 yards, nine yards per pass. I think that was an outstanding game. And I think you can already see right now that this defense is slotted to be a top five defense. So overall, on a defensive side of football, I'm going to get a defensive line an A minus. I'm going to give the linebacker crew an A minus. And I'm going to give the secondary an A. Overall, I'm going to give the defense an A. I thought it was an outstanding performance by this defense. And they have played this Buffalo Bills offense pretty well with Josh Allen as quarterback. They played it pretty well last year. Sort of broke down a lot of injuries in the defense, but they still played it very well. And I think we can see already that 
the Melvin Ingram signing is going to play, is going to pay off in spades. Let me jump into some of your comments. Double H wrote, wow, I wasn't expecting the defense to be as good as last year, maybe even better. It's a little early, but I think the Melvin Ingram signing is not going to be as bad as people think. I think it's going to mitigate. Well, I don't know if people think it was going to be bad. I don't think people thought he would be as good as Bud Dupree. But he's been a better player than Bud Dupree over the course of his career. He has a better pedigree. He has better stats, better everything. So in actuality, he might be an upgrade to Bud Dupree. Dare I say that? I would also agree. Um, I'm not sure if this was the best game one of Tomlin's career. Um, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that remembers that stuff. So you guys would have to tell me if, this is the best game one of Tomlin's career. Where does it rank? But this was a great game one victory against a team that you think you might see in the playoffs. But it's really early, but it's a great game one win. It's a great win in flux where you still have this offensive line in flux. This is the great game where the adage is winning correct. Um, Double H also asked, did we play a lot of three outside linebacker patterns? I'd have to look at that on film to see. Um but again, it, it, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Um, Ali Howard, Species 56118. Asalaamu Alaikum, my brother. And uh, I guess this was the best game one of, of Mike Tomlin's career. I mean, you guys keep saying it. So, you know, again, I guess, uh, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin's had some stinkers. I remember um, the Steelers beating Washington a couple of years ago. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. But again, you know, some of the topics that I wanted to break into in the, for this particular show was Ian Whetstone. Ian did a great job breaking that contract down. My game grades. I gave you my game grades. Uh, but I don't think that this style of win is sustainable. I think they're going to have to be better on offense. And, you know, one thing I did notice on the offense is it didn't feel like Ben Roethlisberger had his hands on the offense Although there was not a lot of under center play, there was some play action. There was some shifting and some motions. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if Ben Roethlisberger is going to take his hands off the offense and let Matt Canada incorporate more of the things that he would like to do. So the last thing I'd like to do before we get out of here and jump off the show again, want to let you guys know that the new schedule will be, of course, we'll be doing a post game after the show, and we're going to be doing a Thursday show. On a Thursday show, uh, we'll be breaking down next week's matchup, and also we'll be talking about, you know, Neil's thoughts from this particular game, and we'll just talk about some new stuff that's going on over the course of the week. Um, but I think this was an outstanding first game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, before we get out of here, some of my pet peeves. Now, I've been doing podcasting for about 18 years. I've been doing podcasting for, actually, my math is off. I've been doing it since 05. So that will put me at 16 years. There are a lot of shows out there. There's a lot of good shows out there. But there's a lot of guys. And the one thing we're going to do, and we talked about, is we're going to try to limit football jargon. I'm not trying to present myself as encyclopedia of football. I'm not a coach. I'm a fan. I know some things about the game thanks to 
conversations that I've had with pros and other guys that have played the game at a high level, at least at a collegiate level, and some coaches. So I'm a sponge to this. I try to absorb knowledge from a lot of different sources. But what I'm not going to do on the show is tell coaches what they should do and how they should coach because I'm not a coach and I've never coached. What I will do, though, is I will watch the game and give you my thoughts and opinions on the game. Now, and I say that because there's a lot of podcasts out there that presume that they could tell coaches what to do in terms of how to improve their team. Here's the one thing I do know. Very few of us who consume podcasts are more knowledgeable than any player or any coach. The guys that you do want to listen to who give suggestions are former players and former coaches. Outside of that, take anything that anyone says with a grain of salt. But overall, this was a fantastic win for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And before we get out of here, let me jump into a couple of questions, a couple of points. Double H said the O-line and running back need to win us at least three games this season to prevent the D from being fatigued and two injured going down the stretch. Our problem the last three seasons. Um, I don't disagree, Double H. I think there just needs to be some balance. And when I say balance, I don't mean a balance between a number of passes and a number of runs. When I say balance, and this is taking a definition from a definition that I heard on a podcast that Andy Reid said about what balance meant for him. And what Andy Reid said in terms of balance is, Balance is just being able to do what you need to do offensively when you need to do it. So balance doesn't mean if I have 60 plays, I throw it 50 times and and I run it 10 times. We're not being balanced. Balanced means if I run it the 10 times, I better be successful in the 10 times that I run it. That's what balance means. I think I agree. I'm warming to that. Because balance for me and my understanding of football in the past was always play calls, number of plays called, so on and so forth. So it took me a little bit to wrap my mind about it. But bottom line is, offensively, you need to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do when you want to do it against any type of front. If they load the box, you still need to be able to run it. Maybe you can pop a run, bang, boom, get something going. If if you're seeing uh, they're rushing three, dropping eight, and you want to pass the ball, you still need to be able to pass the ball. You still need to be able to be flexible to go against a defensive strengths and weakness and to be able to adjust to do what you want to do offensively. So balance is doing whatever you need to do and getting that to work. That's what balance is. Balance isn't necessarily if you have 60 plays running at 30 and passing at 30 because the game is not always going to present itself to you in that particular way. Double H also said, you know, injuries and health is a big deal. It seemed like everybody got out the game uh, pretty healthy. I did not wait to listen to uh, Mike Tomlin's podcast. I wanted to get Ian on the program to break down. Uh, T.J. Watt's contract. But again, great opening day performance. Fantastic performance by this team. I was wrong. This was a game that I thought they would not win. This was a game I thought they would get thumped. And I think there's still some meat on the bone defensively for this team when Tua gets back. So 
There's some growing to go, but it's nice to grow and get a win. But with that, we're going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.